Patrick McWhorter. I'm going to produce, I'm going to choose to uh, pronounce it that way. Horter, yeah. like whip. Yeah. Like, well, like no, cool it's whip. Order. It's yes, cool exactly. whip, like, but it's cool like and then it's a whip. Waluigi. <laughs> oh Not everything's about Waluigi. <laughs> 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 Hello and welcome to Maester Monthly, your favorite pseudo-monthly podcast hosted by the moderators of the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Now, before we begin, this podcast is, as always, spoilers extended, which means that material from the Winds of Winter sample chapters and Game of Thrones TV show is fair game. You have been warned. I am one of your hosts, Michael, better known as Bookshelf Stud. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl. And I'm another one of your hosts, Matt, also known as Joe Magician. And I am frequent guest Fat Walda, also known as Walda. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mamma mia. Um, now, in, in January, we were fortunate enough to add, uh, rack em up, five new moderators to the mod team. Uh, we hope to have as many of them on the cast as possible, uh, maybe all at once, maybe someday we'll get all 37 human moderators on this podcast. Um, but today we are blessed with the presence of an individual whose name we have spoken before. That's right. It's Joe Nintendo Entertainment System, Tony710 himself. <laughs> Say hi, buddy. Hello. Happy to be here. I'm uh, Tony Jones, better known as Jones Tony 710 but my real name is Andy. Don't ask about Tony Jones. It's like a John Doe, I guess. But uh, <laughs> now here we are, moderating a Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, and uh, happy to be here for this first Maester Monthly. Yeah, we do some moderating, like, I don't know, every once in a while. I haven't even read the books. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about again? None of us have yeah. read the books. We've established that on this cast. Jeff can't even read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he doesn't he doesn't get invited back um <laughs> it's amazing he does a reread cast on something he's never read yeah like peak truly. jeffing super impressive that's what spark notes are for <laughs> they have an amazing social media spark presence uh, yeah. i will not let that go if you guys have not checked out the spark notes uh twitter or instagram they are on their game that's awesome i mean maester monthly uh sponsored by spark notes you can go to uh, <laughs> sparknotes.com and plug in maester monthly as a promo code For, um, <laughs> do people just, buy those it, you get know. sparks notes on a wild cards only that's yeah that's right i found a wild cards um volume one first edition in a thrift store mm -hmm. the other day for the record um Anyway, uh, but we're getting off topic already. Now, we, we've got a lot to talk about today. We are celebrating the best posts of 2018, which coincidentally means that this is our two-year podcast anniversary. Our first episode was the best <gasps> wow. of 2016. So, wow. you know, toot toot, hooray. We're a toddler. We're, we are a toddler. We are in the terrible twos. <laughs> we're entering our difficult phase. Terrific twos. <laughs> Terrific twos. But before we get into all of that, all the best posts of the year, um, we do want to highlight a couple of YouTube comments that we got between uh, now and the last recording. Um, first, and probably most importantly, Eliana, it, it's been a frequent um, hobby horse of yours that we don't have the hours of the day um, in A Song of Ice and Fire. We have the hour of uh, the wolf, 
uh yeah and the hour of the bat i think we have those we have the hour of ghosts um mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, there are quite a few named hours but Thankfully, we have good old Thunderclap here to mm. school us on some of the other hours. I, I'm not convinced that these are all the hours because, you know, there has to be 24. There must be another and another and another. Wait, but do there have say. to be 24 hours in a Westerosi day? Mm. Uh, I guess they could measure them differently. Um, or, or they could be shorter or longer. They could be shorter or longer, but just because George is all like... Yes, a year is the same amount of time. I just assume, but the mm. days could be. I guess the mm. the their me- metric of time measurement could be different. But I'm just assuming George actually didn't think that part through. And even I feel if like he he's been it. asked it before. I'm not positive, but I feel like I've seen it in an SSM where he's addressed it. The uh, the length of hours in Westeros. Yeah, I thought that. It, I feel like it's been a question he's asked. I'm not positive, but because I I think that's come up before. Like, you'll see that and, and someone will have linked to it or something. Or then again, I could just be confusing it with Worthead and just taking his word for gospel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which we've all done. Yeah, yes. we've all been there. <laughs> I mean, I know that he's definitely addressed the question of the length of the year, especially as people are like, how do they measure a year in Westeros when they don't have four seasons? Mm. And it's like, dog, like, there's a bunch of places <laughs> in the world that don't have four seasons and they measure the year just fine by the things yeah, in right, the sky. Right. But yeah, yeah. Literally, uh, no. That's a direct quote from George. He said, "Dog." Yeah, <laughs> dog, dog. Shut the fuck up. Um, no, uh, but Thunderclap has given us twenty-four hours here. Yeah, proposed twenty-four hours, which include um, some some highlights. Is five p.m. is the hour of the hammer? Uh, mm-hmm. Why? Don't know. It's hammer time. Oh. I think I want to I want to believe that that is what Thunderclap is saying. Okay, yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Um 7 a.m. is the hour of the pig, which uh feels kind of right. I don't know. I feel like he's tapped into something there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um like bacon uh, and like Canadian I was thinking bacon. more that like I always feel like a swine at about 7 a.m. Like I just feel like a terrible, <laughs> dirty person who's like not ready for the world. Um, uh, that sounds like a personal problem. This is intimate. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are even things that have a renaming. Like they've decided that 12 a.m. is the hour of the dragon, which was formerly the eagle. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I don't remember that from the books. Was that actually an eagle? <laughs> I, no, I think this is a. I think this is a lot of these. Right are not. From the book, yeah. These right. are these yeah. are from uh, their own uh, brain. <laughs> sure, I was gonna say their own. Like they're coming up with a headcanon around it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th- their own genesis. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so yeah. Anyway, thank you, Thunderclap, for laying out this very convenient fanfic. Authors the world over uh, are forever indebted to you for the hour of the turtle. 4 p.m. is the hour of the poppy because I think that's supposed to be like a 4:20 joke. Like, <laughs> oh, getting, uh, I like that. You know, um, and I like how they snuck in a turtle. George would love that. Yeah, and plus, I feel like I'm, you know, at 3 p.m. You're kind of turtleish. You know, you're slowing down. Yeah. You're like, uh, losing my losing my pace. Um, that is how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Hour of the Stranger. Is that one actually from the books? It might be. On the wiki, on the wiki, it has bat, eel, ghost, owl, wolf, nightingale. Nightingale. Oh, if that nightingale don't don't sing, uh, Thunderclap's gonna 
I was really hoping I was going to finish that sentence. Mm. Um, I was really hoping I had like a rhyme coming or something. Thunderclap also, by the way, is the one who uh, first identified Matt your your noise that you made last episode. Can you can you throw that back to us? That noise. Um. Hey, let, let, let me see if I if I can find it in my brain. By the way, the uh, the noise itself, I didn't know what it was. I just sort of made it up. But it turns out it's directly from South Park the movie. It's the sound that the um, the secret agent kid gives when like things are going bad or something like that. It's supposed to be the sound of a giraffe dying although i said it was the sound of egg on the conqueror orgasming and it goes That's like right. wah, wah. <laughs> that is what it was that is the sound that you indeed made <laughs> i had no idea what it was and they someone pulled that out of their memory it's like that's from yep. south park the movie I'm like i haven't seen that yep. movie in like 15 years yeah you're right <laughs> it's deep in your subconscious yeah um just as a weird coming noise <laughs> okay wah. that's that feels vulgar wah. it does it <laughs> We're, we're, we're already at like six was and we've barely started this podcast so <laughs> oh do you think that's waluigi's instead maybe i was channeling waluigi wow wow oh, <laughs> now i can never hear that the same way in any mario game <laughs> you play a mario kart and just picture like Aegon the conqueror uh, ted danson's eyes rolling back in his head like the um, the tennis game where he, go, where he goes like Wah! i'm like oh no waluigi wow that's <laughs> This is this even in like a Song of Ice Fire podcast anymore? <laughs> it's usually it? not about Can a Song we... of Ice and Fire. I'm taking this over. This is a Waluigi podcast now. <laughs> I'm totally this cool is. with that. The winds of Waluigi. <laughs> Waldo Waldoigi. Yes. Waldoigi. Oh, Waluigi man. would definitely be afraid too. <laughs> I feel like he's more of a Euron type. <laughs> oh, really? Just like Eldritch? Yeah, he's, I think he's an Eldritch Mario character. <laughs> Eldritch Mario wow. character. Wow. Waluigi, I, maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Waluigi. There's something dark about him. Waluigi, if you're listening to this, please write in. Tell us what you are. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Please do. I really like the idea of Waluigi Frey, though. Um, now, speaking of YouTube comments, uh, Jacqueline Hemmings commented on, on episode two. She commented on episode two, The Citadel. So that was two years ago, almost wow. at this point. Um, and said, uh, we must have been talking about this in that episode. I don't remember. But she said, were Tywin and Pycelle lovers? Oh, thank you very much. Now I can't get that image out of my head. Um, so can, can we get a consensus, guys? Is that uh, canon? Yeah, we've Pywin? discussed the Pywin yeah. extensively. Why do you think it's... that underground tunnel was built? Yeah. <laughs> It's there is a one secret of... one going right to Pycelle. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of my more wholesome ships, I will say. What's their name? Pycelle? Pywin? Pywin. Hashtag Pywin. They meet during the War of the Nine Penny Kings. Grow to love one another. That we can get six. You guys can't see this, dear listener, but. Waldoigi is just looking into the camera like what I think she actually froze. Oh well earlier. Oh, she was looking into the camera like what is happening? She definitely froze. Uh, no, we we crashed her computer by talking oh, about With it. all the Waluigi. Yeah, so so just you know, so all listeners know, yes, Pywin Pywin is canon according to us. Absolutely. That's a big part of our our Maester Monthly Canon. Um there's one more comment to highlight, which was on the last episode. Throw deuces to death. Um, Ian Conway said, Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I just did wah. the dance of... <laughs> I just... You know, awe backwards is wah. Yeah, so, it is. Wah. See? Um, uh, Ian says, I just did the dance of joy, and my wife called me a true nerd while shaking her head. Um, and I wanted to personally invite Ian to send us a video of them doing the dance of joy. Um, uh, is that is that something all my co-hosts are amenable to? Or... Um... Sure, I would Very also much. like to see Ian's wife shaking her head in response. Mm. I want I want the whole experience. I have some conditions on it. Um, okay. They need to put some like dubstep behind it, like some real bad dubstep while they're dancing, and also be fully clothed. That's that's what I care about. Are you saying that we sound like bad dubstep? Because I, mean... I assume he's doing the dance of joy to our dulcet tones. Yeah. <laughs> I actually now I want somebody to like remix all of us making like random noises into like a terrible dubstep song. <laughs> or a good wow, one. Wow, wow, they wow, could wow, make wow, it a good wow. one too. I'm fine with that. Imagine um, if like that re- the that track reached the top of the charts and it's just us. Oh, it's gonna. Yeah. As we do every year on the subreddit, we held a best ofs award and many users won many uh Reddit credits. We have we, there's like platinum and silver and stuff now, right? There's all sorts of I I I don't actually understand it very I well. I don't know how that shit works. <laughs> Me neither. Um yeah, we should uh, maybe we should have uh gotten the expert on uh jen snow is really the the driving force behind the best ofs um she does an amazing job every year so big big shout out to jen um but there are three tiers of awards tier one was awarded uh you know some big amount of credits tier two awarded slightly less tier three awarded the least um but they're all best they're all great awards um so tier one awards that we uh presented the first and second place winners um, tier two, just the first place winners. Tier three, just the first place. So we're going to go through these tiers. We're going to talk about the best posts of the year. And we're going to start with the best character analysis category, which is a tier one award. And the winner was No Mercy and No Empty Threats, Kingslayer's Choice in the Winds of Winter by user Bale Bard, which we actually talked about on the last episode, uh, episode 17, Throw Deuces to Death. So we're not going not gonna to talk about it today because you can hear us talk about it for longer over there but second place in best character analysis went to john snow his is the song of ice and fire by user i am heathen king um also known as heathen king on twitter and this was one of heathen king's many posts analyzing john snow he's he's written several of these i read it and i was like well i guess i'm not going to be writing my own john analysis now (laughs) (laughs) now that's that's a rave review right there i mean um, it's it's a really in depth post on sort of the 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 real character side of John. Um, I mean he uh, he does speak to a little bit the the character arc, the hero's journey elements, some of the more archetypical things. Um, obviously comparisons to every single famous hero in every book ever. Um, but really is getting into John's character in a way that I think some people tend to really hew closer to the theorizing side. But this is this is real. Uh, there's a reason it won best character analysis, and it's because it really gets us into John's head um, comprehensively. There's one great portion later in the essay where uh, he writes about how uh, Gurm, it's almost as if he created uh, Theon Greyjoy because he wanted to see the opposite of Jon Snow. Um, and I think that's a really astute observation and one that holds up pretty well, especially given the show showing the two of them 
butting heads. So yeah, this is this is a comprehensive Jon Snow take here. I don't know uh, what y'all's experience with it was. There's quite a bit in here as well, speaking of things that have influenced George R. R. Martin and you know what George is reacting to. Um, Heathen King talks a lot about how Jon Snow is the Aragorn of the story and dissects Jon's character as that very heroic, as you were saying, archetype. I edited this out, I didn't read Lord of the Rings, so that's the most I can get you out of this. <laughs> I think you said before you have not read it. I know, but I'm, not gonna, I'm not trying to remind everyone that I'm a fucking like, idiot. Eliana hasn't read it, guys. Neither have I. Oh. Or me, me either. Y'all are what on the I've, I've read Hobbit and Fellowship, but I, didn't, I haven't done the other two yet. I, I've only there read the rest of the way there. I, I only read sci-fi. Uh, yeah. well, well, that's, that's why you're reading A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, God yeah. damn it. Lord of the Rings is sci-fi. <laughs> that's the, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tinfoil that we all know and love. One thing I really like that Heathen King talks about in this essay is he identifies how George sets up a lot of pitfalls for kind of heroic characters in A Song of Ice and Fire and sort of personifies them in other people. Like like you said, with Ramsay, Quentin, um, Theon. Mm. There's all these characters that have uh, fatal flaws that means they don't get quite where they're going to be or where they could be as like fantasy-ish heroes. And he lays out how John, how he's written how John sort of sidesteps almost all of them in a, mm. in a mm. way that doesn't feel like he's going down like a checklist of how to be a great hero. It feels natural, which is hard to do. And I agree with um, Heathen King that it makes for a, a, a very deep character. And one that's uh, interesting on rereads once you realize what's going on with him. Yeah, there's this at the end of the post. He uh, he kind of breaks down. Uh, he asks this question: What is the boon that Jon Snow is supposed to share with humanity? And really talks about some of the lessons that Jon learns throughout his story. Um, you know that uh, the Night's Watch instills this idea of service. That he learns compassion, empathy, admitting ignorance. You know, you know nothing, Jon Snow, as this refrain for him. Um, the the choice to not be cruel, to be just, uh, as he's contrasted with Joffrey and Ramsay, um, and of failure as well, of of learning from failure. So it, it's a it's a really nice portion here at the end that that cuts into a lot of like you can still you can almost tinfoil off this stuff because it's about the kind of leader Jon Snow will be based on the lessons we've seen him learn so far in the story, or hopefully that he's learned. I guess um, maybe he's just. A, just, just a dumb, dumb guy. But uh, I think he knows more than nothing. John Snow. I mean, he is a bit of a dummy, but he's a he's a heroic <laughs> dummy. Or it's there about how John knows. Are we? Do we want to go here? I I don't know where you're going. I don't know the the term nothing during. This is not what George intended at all. But anyways, the term nothing can be a double entendre meaning. Vagina, yes, <laughs> from Shakespeare's time, and that's why there's a quite a bit of wordplay, etc., in titles such as "Much Ado About Much. Nothing." So, you know, wow. Jon Snow has the Lord's kiss, so maybe that's something that Jon is going to bring back as the boon to the rest of Westeros. <laughs> as Egret says, "You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> he has an intimate knowledge of nothing." Yeah, that's no. what he's going to bring back. Everyone will thank him for it. 
that's a that's a really great addition to uh to Hidden King's essay. post here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the icing on the cake. I, I think that is the subtext. It's about cunnilingus, yes. All of it. <laughs> Another frequent category that we have for the best ofs is the best new theory, which is always really fun. And it's a great way to realize that, you know. We're into this series and waiting for the books several years, but people are still coming up with new things, and it's really awesome. So, first place went to Paparazzi for the theory, The One True Ring, What's Really in the Winterfell Crypt? And that was about um, a, a ring based off of some of the stuff from Dunkin' Egg, and we discussed this theory on episode 13, We Can Swear Now! <laughs> So You're fucking right, we did. <laughs> if you want to check that out, they make you swear and swear. That would be episode 13 of Maester Monthly. But second place went to Skull of the Grey John, whom I believe we've discussed on Maester Monthly before, but this time it's for a post called Unnoticed Point about the Pink Letter. This is, a, this is an interesting take on the Pink Letter because a lot of the theories about the Pink Letter are, of course, about the authorship, which this does eventually touch on. But they're starting from the foundation that the author of the Pink Letter is conducting a King's Blood sacrifice to the cold, as they state. So they're analyzing the letter by looking at all the different people who are asked for by the author and using that to sort of triangulate who the author is it's it's funny because they actually say in the post skilled great john says i haven't thought about the author mm. who the author could be much <laughs> right but it strengthens the, but they, they think it strengthens the case for mance as the author because they're building up to this thing about the pink letter being a setup for like a, a blood ritual i guess yeah. blood magic uh so he makes a lot of really good points about how there's like a torture chamber there's some sort of uh way to kill people in every single castle and when it comes to Winterfell, there's like the heart tree, there's snow. So you've, it's an interesting thought process about what, if there's some sort of other intentions behind the pink letter. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes you look at the pink letter in a slightly different way because so much of it has been about authorship, as we've said. But this is about like, okay, well, you know, uh, five of these seven people have king's blood. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a big setup for sacrifice um, here. The frostbite is something that comes up. And they equate frostbite to, like the the self mortification the burned men practice, um, which is an interesting connection. Um, that kind of elemental symmetry. That's kind of a big. It seems like a big underlying intellectual component of this post, right? I do feel like there's been a lot of discussion about the pink letter this year, in particular, and this mm. is kind of a different take on it. Mm-hmm. It's more about the content. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I it makes sense why this one uh, second place for best new theory, because it really is a very fresh take on the pink letter. Yeah, something that's been discussed to death, I mean, on on this podcast <laughs> alone. Um, I really want to know yeah. if, if George in, intended that at all, or what he would think, knowing how picked apart it's been. Uh, my, my, my read on it, and I think we've seen comments from Elio and uh, Linda that sort of go this way, that it's probably not the huge mystery the fandom thinks it is. Because right. whenever it comes up, they sort of throw cold water on it. And now they're, they're obviously not George himself, but they do work closely with him and know quite a lot about how he... he I mean, they personally know him. They helped write the World of Ice and Fire and Fire of Blood. So 
I don't know. It seems like one of those things that like Joffrey and the uh, the cat's paw where it's gotten blown out of proportion because the clues aren't there in order to be solved. But it doesn't mean it's pointless, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can I can see that. I mean, if if the end of the book had the Battle of Ice and we saw a different thing happen than what right. happens in the letter, we'd be going, oh, well, that's weird. You know, there's a puzzle to figure out here, but it's not. The puzzle is like, why is there a discrepancy? Not like, what does the letter mean? Um, yeah, but I think it's one of the most fun things too. Mm, like, I'm kind of right. glad we have this. Uh, this, you know, <laughs> well, I was about to say I'm glad we have these eight years to um, to talk about. Maybe not eight. I would have been happy with like four or five years. But uh, yeah, do you do you think we'll see the actual authorship of the pink letter, like someone actually physically writing it, or just find out about it? in retrospect like will this be say there's infiltration Mm -hmm. or a bran raven which is a little more ridiculous but um (laughs) like who knows i mean theon or someone will probably have to infiltrate winterfell if we look at the way he solved his other puzzles he never really had the person cop to it like the cat's paw thing that was a that was a deduction from Tyrion, and george considered that basically solved at that point so i doubt anyone will, will like maybe cop to it and say they exactly did it but he'll probably lay hints so you can piece it together with the missing information. Well, sometimes characters do come right out and say it, like Liza Aaron being like, it was me! <laughs> I poisoned John Aaron! That's true. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. if it was Ramsey, presumably he'd, he'd say it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, Maybe. like he'd, you know... A- acknowledge. I, I sent a letter yeah. to yeah. <laughs> That'll show him. <laughs> right. Yeah, villains um, love their villain monologues, even in A Song of Ice and Fire. It's true, right. yeah. <laughs> and, like, I mean, even if maybe we don't see the writing of the letter, maybe we'll see Mance in a cage and, like, Ramsay next to, you know, like, right. the basic ingredients of the letter. <laughs> um, pink, pink letter. I yeah. thought it would be kind of interesting if all of the culprits were dead before we figured out. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> That's a good It's yeah. never solved. That's a good mystery thing. And then it turns out it was actually uh, Old Nan hiding in the cupboard. Uh, <laughs> no, it was Shaggy Dog. He learned to write and snuck back into Winterfell. Nailed it. <laughs> nice. Best new theory. Well, actually, you know who just learned how to write in the books? Davos Seaworth. <sighs> Spicy mm. tinfoil. Yeah. He's sending a coded message to Stannis. <laughs> No, to John. Wait, shit. Wait, I forgot who's who actually sent the letter? But that's, <laughs> to John, that's yeah. the whole part of the message. It's the whole mystery. Mm. He, it's addressed right. to John, but it's, it's, it's actually Stannis. for Stannis. <laughs> In this letter, John means Stannis, yeah. and and vice versa. It's Great. his it's his cute pet name for Stannis. He calls him John in private. <laughs> <laughs> so our third tier one award of the year went to comment of the year. Uh, second place went to user Patrick McWhorter with his comment on the Lannisters' incredible PR team, while first place went to user the Coconut God with their post about Jamie killing Cersei with good end to Cersei's arc, but a step backwards in Jamie's. Coconut Gods is basically about how a lot of people think that Jamie's arc will end with him killing Cersei as a Valonqar, but in terms of where that's going for him as a character, someone who's trying to redeem himself, that would be kind of a step backward. Which, you know, maybe works for Jamie, but I understand the point they're making. And then the second place from Patrick McWhorter, they're talking about how the Lannisters tend to 
lie about a lot of things and they propose tinfoil that there wasn't never was a bright roar that they stole everything mm. they make everything up that they're just boastful people which you know kind of works with uh in the show they've said that the lannisters are out of gold at this point but everyone still <laughs> thinks they got it two lannister comments of the year here. yeah wow um, mm. the lannisters really rigged the game big showing for the lions i the jamie comment has me has me thinking um because i mean i i've been of the opinion for a while that it's probably jamie who's the the valon car right mm-hmm. um yeah. but this 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 makes a good a good counterpoint that uh th- their their point seems to be that this works best from cersei's perspective like it's a twist for cersei but that it might not be the best plot twist for jamie's character you know what would make it more noble for jamie would be if cersei were about to do something especially heinous and that was what Jamie caused Jamie to kill her, sort of like a you know Mad King Ares moment, mm-hmm. which the Coconut God addresses. They're saying that yes, there's a parallel with Ares that people discuss, but they feel that the power dynamics are a little different because Ares was a monarch and therefore people were more obligated to follow what he said, whereas Cersei's only a queen regent, according to the Coconut God, and is a woman trying to grasp whatever power she can in a patriarchal world so Mm. he's saying that Mm. any order that comes from Cersei has inherently less weight and therefore jamie or whoever isn't obligated to follow it i guess that their argument is that like we won't see something like in the show where cersei has this kind of absolute power that has to be stopped where like where in the books her power is more limited i could still see a scenario where like she is mercy killing Marcella or so, you know, like some crazy or, thing. And, and or trying to kill Tyrion or something. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, yeah, that that there is something awful that she's doing that Jamie needs to stop her from doing, but maybe not on the scale that the show has her doing, uh, you know, mass detonations um, under the city. I still think that she'll become queen, though, probably in her own right, because once the kids die off, she'll take power. I, I don't know. I feel like she'll be named mm-hmm. queen before Aegon invades, and then somehow uh, she'll either take the city for a little while or flee back to the rock. But yeah, I think it'll be a similar to Aerys moment where she orders some sort of big destruction and Jaime goes against her. The thing, like it's a, it's a very interesting to think about how yeah, that's not really great for Jaime's arc. But at the same time, I think it's kind of wrong to say that Jaime's even having a redemption arc in general. Like it's much oh. more a, a, a tragic arc. He's going to try to redeem himself, but like I think he, Jamie's for sure going to run back to Cersei's arms at some point. Like He's not done with her yet, especially when he finds out about the walk of shame and everything that's going on. I don't know. I feel like his they'll cross paths again, and then, yeah, he'll probably be the Valancor, but I still think it'll be a big... I, I don't know if it'll be something more like she's just ranting and raving, kill them all, or she has like some actual order she can get through right i mean i hope it's Mm. the latter but who knows (laughs) yeah still all that wildfire out under king's landing just saying maybe she just like loads up a wagon of it and goes rogue around the countryside like uh, (laughs) right because i mean it's just like driving down the road (laughs) just throwing them (laughs) yeah just hucking them at like peasants (laughs) like you would think it's it's probably likely that cersei makes it pretty late in the game too like maybe even past the others because she's the chief antagonist when it comes down to it like sure you have the others and whatnot but throughout the story cersei's the bad guy and so it's like you can't just like 
I don't know. I think it wouldn't be as powerful to kill her off before really the, that even that whole end game. Like there's probably still more, and that's when Jamie does it. I do agree that I think she's going to be later. She's going to be around much later in the story than people might think. Um, yeah, uh, like, like like you said, like Jamie, like the the Jamie Cersei thing really is kind of like the OG, like like plot. You know, right? <laughs> um, it's it's their it's their misbehavior that kind of kicks off a lot of this, and so I think they have to. They have to be involved in kind of the very near end stuff because, um, I don't know. It's just it, it feels like like you know poetry. It rhymes. Um, yeah, there's a, there's um, symmetry to their story that they were born mm-hmm. seconds after each other. I think at one point Cersei well, says like we came into the world together. We'll go out of the world together. That's right. Yeah. Kind of makes sense that at some point they will finally they will just like shrug off this mortal coil at the same time maybe maybe this time uh jamie going out first and then cersei second or something like that i think i think it's like tony was saying we don't know for sure that jamie is actually on a redemption arc there may be redemptive elements Mm -hmm. to his story i wonder though because if jamie's not on a redemption arc there's a lot that is interesting about the way jamie and cersei's story plays out like jamie and cersei is the one exploration that we get of a very a very mundane topic that many people have experienced which is going through a breakup and Hmm. the fact of the matter is we're going through it in a very unorthodox lens which is jamie and cersei being uh you know twins who sleep (laughs) together hey but yeah what it's a great exploration (laughs) of that everyday feeling of how easily love can turn to disgust and hate when you've broken up with someone, when someone has betrayed you or something like that. Mm. And what if Cersei doesn't do something horrible, right? Like, what if Jamie kills her out of just some sort of spite? And it's not Mm. good. Mm -hmm. It's not a good look. But something like that could be the case. Though, of course, there is a lot in the storyline to point to Jamie being the Valonqar, as you were all saying, they came into this world together, perhaps they go out. And when they came into the world together, Jamie's holding Cersei's foot, which is very much pointing to the idea of the Achilles heel. But I do Mm -hmm. like to say every now and then, it would be hilarious if Tyrion were the Valonqar, because (laughs) it's funny to me for a broken clock to be right twice a day. And I think there's nothing more unexpected and hilarious than if Cersei turns out to be right (laughs) (laughs) i'm only in it for the lols but (laughs) hashtag lols (laughs) also uh, i wanted to point out on the redemption arc thing uh, a lot of people see that because he's trying to model himself after arthur dane and gerald hightower but if you look at those characters they're very honorable people that served a horrible horrible king and did everything he asked so even if he becomes arthur dane to cersei's Ares, like is that mm. still even a good mm. person? I don't know. Sure. That that's a good question. And he's also trying to model himself after Tywin. I mean, that's how he leaves Riverrun. Like, oh yeah, I want to yeah. be Arthur Dan. I want to be Gerald Hightower, but I got to do things the Tywin way. <laughs> not 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 great role models. Yes. Not the no. For, for for more on that uh, discussion, you can see our our discussion of No Mercy and No Empty Threats: Kingslayer's Choice in the Winds of Winter Indeed. by Bale Bard. The next tier one award is for post of the year um second place went to zombie bait um who is our friend Liza arbor yes mm-hmm. yeah um mm-hmm. for the post mercy 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 on sansa sandor and aria um first place went to tom aries post spreadsheet of all song of ice and fire characters 2018 update mm. 
Which we discussed on episode 15. Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember talking about baby names. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I don't remember it now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty impressive spreadsheet. Uh, there's not much to say about it here, but um, it's everyone extensive. should just go look at it. It's, it's great. It's yes. impressive. And they've, as far as I know, added to it since what? Fire and Blood came out, right? They've already I updated think so. it, I think? I believe that's right. The zombie bait post is dense. <laughs> In a good way. Um, it's got a lot of quotes and context from the books. But basically, it is um, about the relationship between Sandor and Sansa and Sandor and Arya and sort of what Sandor teaches Sansa and Arya um, as they interact in their stories and then what Sansa and Arya sort of teach Sandor and this theme of mercy, which comes up a lot in the books, but thinking about Sansa and Mother's Mercy and thinking about Arya giving, you know, mercy like the gift of death and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. And it it um she brings in as well some just like a a, a hint of Clegane Bowl. Not really Clegane Bowl. She addresses that. Um the idea that that a conflict between the Clegane brothers might look more like Sandor giving mercy to Gregor um, than sort of the uh, epic Sunday night showdown that we've that so many people have been have been looking forward to for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, Cue v- Vuvuzelos going off. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Something Good something stuff. Bud Night. That's true. That's right. Yeah. So there's there's an element of uh, of like. Instead of vengeance, Clegane Bowl could be a thing of of mercy, of Sandor giving the gift of death to his brother Gregor, based on what his what his, how his character has changed by meeting Sansa and Arya, and how their stories have explored mercy. Um, I mean, Arya's chapter from the Winds of Winter is titled "Mercy." It's clearly uh, <laughs> really a big element in their stories going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how they're sort of going out in parallel paths where a lot of Sansa's arc is about giving people mercy. Like, uh, I think in particular, Shardantos is mm. a prime example of that. She saved his life for really no reason other than she just felt bad for him. Whereas Arya is being taught over and over again to deny people mercy, to uh, seek vengeance, to kill people. But as we, maybe how it's going to go is, I mean, I, I'm not going to rep last season's Arya Sansa arc is fantastic but it did end up going the other way where Sansa's is the one that actually got the vengeance and ordered Arya to do it and it may end up they cross that way where you expect Arya to be the one to take revenge and to have the to go out and get kills that they that is needed in the story but maybe Sansa the, the one that ends up making them happen instead hmm. which is what lies in arbor slash zombie bait yeah. says in this mm-hmm. post the idea that Arya has been giving this supposed gift of mercy this whole time, but will have to do so, as you said, like in a way that isn't vengeance, in a way that will cause her pain. The idea that she might have to give that gift of mercy to her mother, Lady Stoneheart, who is currently, right. you know, Mother Merciless, and mm-hmm. that Sansa would not. She would retract her mercy that she's been showing so many people, especially towards Littlefinger. Sa- same situation. No, because after seeing what has happened to Jane Poole, after hearing perhaps the account of what happened in King's Landing could come from Bran, I guess, as it did in the show. But also, if Sandor Clegane is there, he was in the throne room. 
and the Royces. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that the, that she brings up um, is the way Sansa's story is the the direction her story is going in um, with regards to mercy. I really liked. I mean, I I don't want to harp on it too much, but I just like the way this was written. Like, there's a lot of good sentences in here um but there's uh uh something that i really liked that i picked out um which is closer to the end where uh lies our, our zombie bait is saying um no one is accursed as the kingslayer and it should never be easy to kill a family member where killing gregor might have been the hound's dream about a year ago the hound turned up dead sandor will be giving his brother the gift of mercy taught to him by the two little girls that snuck beneath his skin um and i i like that last sentence but i also like the idea uh, which is bolded that it should never be easy to kill a family member. Um, I think that's a that's an important thing to pull out, and it it sounds obvious when you say it outside of a song of ice and fire, but uh, within the context of the story, I think sometimes we'll slip into these like, um, I don't know, let's murder this, you know, like this person <laughs> murders that person because it's it's fucking cool or whatever, and like, uh, you know, I think the story's a little more complicated than that. Right, uh, like the perfect example is Tyrion and Tywin, where everyone ch- basically cheered mm. when Tywin finally bit it. But then George has uh, Tyrion essentially try to kill himself via wine afterwards and destroys his psyche that he had to do it. Even though we pretty much know Tywin had it coming, doesn't make it any easier for Tyrion actually pulling the uh, crossbow. And even uh, Stannis, he says that he will go to his grave thinking of his brother's peach. He does. <laughs> 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 so many I'm just thinking so many characters in these books actually are killed by family members if you consider family by marriage. Who's it, what, like who does that include? What do you what do you think? Well, I mean like uh Lysa is killed by Littlefinger. Oh. Um Ooh, yeah. you know Joffrey is killed by Elena. <laughs> oh, Robert um, and Rhaegar, their cousins. True. Uh <laughs> true. You know, yeah, like, so Stannis is responsible for Renly's death, but that's not marriage. Um, Oh, the, even the Red Wedding. I mean, like, yeah. Walder Frey is technically related by marriage to Kat and her family. That's a good point. Yeah. He's her father-in-law-in-law. They're, um, yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> but Robert is... However you put that. Accursed is the in-law slayer. Yeah. <laughs> Robert is still haunted, though, by... Yeah. His fight with mm-hmm. Rhaegar, he didn't. It wasn't easy for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I don't know. I. I think. Uh, I mean, there's many reasons this post was was second place for post of the year, but um, I. I, th- I think you know throughout this very specific analysis, it really taps into some some of the bigger ideas in Aswaf. Um, and that was one that particularly stood out. Definitely. That's one of the hallmarks of a very good theory is that it resonates in other parts. It just keeps the more the further out you get from it the the lessons or the ideas in it still work. This is again less of like a theory prediction post and more of just a character analysis post, yeah. right? Right. Which is interesting mm-hmm. that a lot of our you know posts have been more I think of them as academic, right? Instead of like mm. what if this happens? Mm. It's like this is what you would do for English class. For sure, yeah. This is basically a paper. I mean, uh, and I mean, it makes yeah. sense considering where we are in the wait for yeah, oh, yeah. new right. material. Yeah. It's just the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, same. Same. And as we said, it, it makes sense why it was 
so high up in the competition. But it is, you know, it is hard to top someone who made like a thousand of characters. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. what? what's more valuable? One great analysis or like a search of ice and fire? I mean, it's basically um, what, what it is. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to measure that. Right? Yeah. 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 She kind of, she kind of ran into a brick wall of a great resource for the community. Mm. Mm. And baby names. And baby names. <laughs> <laughs> but is uh-huh. Wal is Waldoigi on this list? Waldo Waldoigi. <laughs> so now we're at the final of our tier one awards. Uh, these go for the Dolores Ed uh, Award for funniest one liner. So it's kind of the best, uh, n- not necessarily the funniest post, but. You know, one liner, little comment. And so the winner this year was Can I Try To? And it was a thread about um, Cersei and Tyrion, but then it derailed into or, or turned into um, a talk about how Ned and Catelyn eventually decided that Ned should be at hand. And so the post was she, as in Catelyn, set up Ned to take the hand job with Lewin too. <laughs> i just want to note regarding this post i guess it when it was nominated it, it it's described as the accidental implication of a lewin and catlin affair but i want you to read this post read this line aloud for me one more time tony right so catlin set up ned to take the hand job with lewin too i think if you read this it actually sets it up for ned and lewin to be the ones right. having the affair not catlin I, and lewin. i would agree Mm-hmm. How could Catelyn receive a handjob? Doesn't well, work. We we don't want to make yeah. any assumptions about Catelyn, but we <laughs> and also you can't you got to broaden your definition of of handjob. I mean exactly. Yeah, I, it, yes. it, it looks like what? the the, the maesters in A Song of Ice and Fire really have a lot more duties than originally thought. You know, I, we'll, we'll see if when Sam's in the Citadel, if this is any part of his training. Oh! Oh! Wow! <laughs> I don't want to know what that uh, that link is made out of. <laughs> but what's, what's great too about a post like this is is and this when you read the rest of the comments, uh, obviously, can I try too? When he wrote it, didn't fully understand what he wrote or catch because it's such it's tr- it's like you're reading that we all make these mistakes where you write something like that and then you go mm-hmm. back when people point it out mm-hmm. and that makes it so much funnier too. So, thank you, can I try too for making us all laugh at the perspective. Ned Lewin romance that we're gonna, which is great because we had just talked about Pi Pywin, Tywin and Pycelle. Yeah. So we're oh. coming full we circle. We also had here. that. We also had that extensive post about um Ned being gay, but that oh, was yeah. a different oh, was... modcast. Yeah. yeah, was it was it a modcast? No, I was. think it was the slash cast. Yeah, yeah. the one yeah. where yeah. you talked about Tom Aries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 This is the neutral good version of the like neutral evil Pywin uh, ship, right? Is is uh Lu Lu Lunen Lunen Edwin Edwin Nedwin Edwin Nedwin and Pywin. Aw. Why are they both ending in win? Maybe this is the secret code. I think it's a win win situation. Oh one is that what one one's name is about? Other other than Phil Sims, yeah. Is one one just two macers in a coat? On top of each other, <laughs> I think it's gotta be like five. Yeah, that's true. A couple, it's a couple maesters. Yeah, uh, we did have a second place as well. Right. Yep. So the second place now was uh, by user Sir Duncan on y'all, 
which itself is a great username. <laughs> um, and so it was it was in a post about uh, a, a fleet. To, it was by you, the coconut god, who has a theory about an exodus to Essos, where the uh, it's, it, I guess the gist of that is that a lot of the Westerosi will flee to Exodus. Ex, ugh, Essos, not Exodus. Um, Although. <laughs> but that works. That's hashtag yeah, they're fleeing new theory. There, yeah. But part of it, too, is that Stannis dies. And Sir Duncan Anyal commented, All I can think about when reading this was dead Stannis returning with bright blue eyes, but still grinding his teeth so hard they start falling apart. <laughs> so I, I think that might be the best character analysis we saw all year. Because it, yeah, no. that, that is Stannis, <laughs> That's pretty strong Stannis right there. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's funny to think about undead Stannis. I guess I'm just imagining like undead undead Stannis, like coming across a peach and just kind of looking at it, <laughs> just like sitting, standing there sadly, going, "I know something about this." Grinding his teeth at peaches. Th- that's One the, solitary the, the white she tear. Sees me. The she sees me moment from uh, the Varamir POV with Stannis. The peach. We'll get a POV from the peach. He knows me. <laughs> the skin changing a peach. Oh, is and inside, inside is James and the giant peach. Oh, oh my god! And all the bugs. Yeah. Jamie and the giant peach. Wow. Okay. I'm just I'm just free associating. Who's Peach? Renly. Peach. Jamie and Renly now. Yeah. No, no. Peach is uh, she's coming in second place, but you know who's coming in first place? Waluigi. Toad. Waluigi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I I'm see a this. I'm a Daisy main actually. Oh, oh fair wow. enough. Wait, yeah. which game? What? Which game? Oh, Ultimate Smash Ultimate. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, I still haven't. I don't. I haven't played that one yet. I just. I'm still. Pl- I sat down and played Melee on my couch for a couple hours the other day. Um, even though it's 18 years old. Um, I still play Cart for 64. So. There we go. All right. You could probably sell that Melee for a few hundred dollars. Yeah. I never, hey. I never had a sixty-four. Uh, that's best. Yeah. Does yours still work then? Yeah. Uh, nice. In college, I won a Mario Kart tournament. But, oh, wow. um, nice. These are, yeah. This is a good fun factoid. No, it's it was good. It was basically the highlight of my life so far. Yeah, you and really it was peaked. A, it was Wait, you peaked a great early, highlight. Didn't no, you? I peaked. It was great. I mean, so I, who I, do you who to- do you play in Mario Kart? Toad. Toad. <laughs> toad. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to go. Especially sixty-four. I, yeah. I get those readies. You know about readies when you got to uh, move the joystick back and forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do power those. slides away yeah, around. Yeah, power yeah. Slide, yeah. That's right. Those were days, things. Just power sliding around. Sherbert Land, Coco Man, Koopa Troopa Beach. I just want to. I just want to point out. He said the highlight of his life wasn't being modded or being on Maester Monthly. <laughs> Why would it be? <laughs> <laughs> We're luminaries. I would be way more proud of winning a Mario well, Kart. I would. I, I'd yeah, be more dude. proud of that too. What did you? Uh, what did? Did you win any like prize or anything? Yeah. Like, well, there... Guess what? Guess what? I won a Nintendo Wii that they never gave me. So oh. was, yeah. No, it's this. Take this, them to court. Now it's the lowest point of my life. So, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, this, really is, your, this is your chance to drag them. I know. Uh, yeah, true. If you're true. listening out there, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> but no, so it was a fraternity who was doing the tournament in college and uh-huh. they like charged $5 entry and they're like, the prize will be a Wii. But when fraternities do their like events like that, you have to give something <laughs> to charity. And so they um. only made like 300 bucks and they were like, that's, we have to give that all the charity. We can't, it's either the Wii or we're literally just had a charity event for no one. 
And so they did. <laughs> a charity for you of getting your. Reading. I know. That's, <laughs> I know. It's, you were you were needy. You had oh. no. Yeah. Wow. Robbed. It was it was bad, but I've been getting over it. Therapy one day at a time. I want that yeah. win. There you go. Yeah. Stay yeah. strong. This, this is what we're here for. Time. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why I signed up to become a mod. <laughs> I need to redeem myself. <laughs> you need you need like to to process it. Yeah. You need new activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that brings us to our tier two awards. <laughs> Somehow, it brings us to our tier two awards. Um, the first award in the tier two category is the best tinfoil slash slash shiniest tinfoil theory. And this is for a theory that um, is is genuinely tinfoil. You know, it, it, it might not be likely uh, to be accurate, but it sure is fun. And is shiny tinfoil. Um, and the winner this year is user TLTWP for their post, Connecting Littlefinger to the Lyanna Was Kidnapped story. Um, and their TLDR for this post, which is kind of the best summary, is that they think there's a strong chance that Littlefinger would have told Brandon the kidnapping story, Lyanna's kidnapping story in heavy air quotes, not as part of some grand scheme, but purely to piss Brandon off. And the way events snowballed would have been something he never could have anticipated. Once Littlefinger saw the huge effect his words had, though, it was like a serial killer having his first kill. It almost, they say, makes way too much sense with the symmetry of the story. So you know it's a good post when they say that it almost makes too much sense. Um, <laughs> but basically, so basically the idea being that Littlefinger, uh, in an attempt to get back at Brandon, um, Lyanna disappears, Brandon shows up at Riverrun, he's like, hey, where's my sister? And Littlefinger, uh, just to be spiteful, is like, oh, Rhaegar totally kidnapped her with a, like a bunch of dudes. And Brandon believes him, and obviously the <laughs> events of Robert's Rebellion happen, and Littlefinger is, um, you know, staring out the window like Joe Bluth um, with, a, with a big knife wound in his belly, going, I've made a huge mistake. Um, but he's, he's learned something from it. Um, and there's, the post goes on for quite a while, actually, um, about how this can have, have, uh, kind of affect Ned's own perception of things and his life and the relationship he has with Littlefinger and um, how important it would be for Sansa to be the one to sort of de- destroy Littlefinger with this uh, added wrinkle. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, where, where do you guys fall on this one? TLTWP, which must stand for something, and I don't know what it is. Like, the lint that was promised? Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> starts a... The lentils. The lentils, the lentils, lentils. lentils that were promised. Yeah. Um, starts this post off about how it was in reaction to... And I remember this episode, a discussion on whether... Yeah, Littlefinger could have said anything, right? Uh, and this was discussed at the beginning of a Nada podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being in the car with a friend, Courtney, as we were heading up to the New Jersey Fire and Blood event, and we heard mm-hmm. this. And I know that Nada podcast felt it was implausible, but I kind of fall on the same spectrum as TLTWP, where I don't think that it's something that Littlefinger would have schemed and done intentionally. It's just like something like a shitty kid says, like offhand. Like, I don't even know Uh that he was trying to say to piss off Brandon, but maybe he was. But, you know, your kids, like, say shit, especially if they're upset. And, yeah, I actually was surprised that it was dismissed so easily. 
Yeah. Not to throw shade at like my boys, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I end up agreeing with the not a cast boys on this. I think the the mm. major problem with this is the timeline that um it it's it's kind of implausible that Lilvinger was still at River Run after all this happened because I think Brandon went back to the north and then came back for the wedding or he went to the Vale. He went somewhere that takes a long time. So he was it's said that Lilfinger was on his way back to the fingers because he was almost killed in his duel. So it's like I I, I don't know. Maybe Lilfinger has like friends left behind or somebody did it as revenge for what Brandon did to Littlefinger, but it seems kind of unlikely that he actually did it himself although i do like the points made in the post that it would make for great symmetry and a like a, a super villain origin story for Littlefinger. like this is where he got the taste for blood kind of thing and th those parts work very well i'm gonna push back on the timeline thing because he wasn't sent back because of his injuries he was sent back a little while after it must have been at least a few weeks after because he sent back because he got Liza pregnant. Yeah, it was only yeah. like two weeks, though. Well, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why this persists. Yeah. I, I, it's ambiguous enough to fit it in, but it's probably not true. Right. And now there's there's a fun uh, wrinkle on this, though, um, which is that after Brandon dies, Peter sends Kat a single letter and she burns it without reading it. Mm. Um, and there's, I, I mean... If this theory is true, and I, I like the idea that Littlefinger did mess with the story somehow. If this theory is true, could that have been Peter, like, um, maybe not confessing exactly, but I, I don't know. Like, I think there's, there's interesting implications for that letter. Obviously, the letter could just be Peter sending her a letter to be like, now we can be together, my love. But, you know, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it seems like there could also have been some sort of piece of information in that, which would be an interesting parallel with, Liza sending the letter to Kat uh, at the start of a Game of Thrones, um, which contains some misleading information about uh, an individual's death. Um, I don't know. Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler <laughs> <laughs> yeah. alert about, about that one, yeah. Um, what? <laughs> Sorry, no, it was just the way you were being vague about it. It was a certain character who passes away <laughs> uh, whose name rhymes with mom blarin uh i i would like it if the letter little finger sent was just like a a little picture of himself with like holding his hands up like this and it's this is like i heart you and that was it it wasn't anything deeper <laughs> it's like a valentine yeah 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 like a valentine you complete me <laughs> <laughs> two cat For love sure. peter yeah. I mean, this is a, a theory you see come up a good amount. Yeah. Like, it's come yeah. up over there. There's other iterations of it, too. Like, people say they Littlefinger was there at uh, the crossroads, supposedly, or hypothetically, um, and, and witnessed the whole thing go down. I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said for it, but personally, I don't, I don't think it's true. And I also don't really like, necessarily, how it would add this origin story to Littlefinger like that. It, it gives hmm. him too much meddling in, like, a huge event, and then it just, like, cheapens almost the whole John Aaron and current thing. Because it's like, oh, he's just, you know, doing it again. And not this, like, I've been building for years. True. Nobody suspects it, the little finger. Right. Yeah. And you also don't need this to like give Brandon motivation to charge like a dumbass into King's Landing and yeah. be a and get himself killed. That's pretty much his character on sure, his own. Right. Like sure. you don't, he doesn't need a push to do this. He would do this on his own anyway. He almost he almost uh fought Rhaegar at the um at the tourney at Harrenhal after he crowned Lyanna. So it's like, yeah, this is totally something he would do even without a push. But, but the the timeline definitely leaves it open to a degree. That's why I think this persists so much. 
Yeah. And, and there yeah, is something it's... to be said about it too. Like it is it would be interesting if that's kind of Littlefinger did kind of have his revenge this way, but I feel yeah. like the kidnapping of Liana was probably such a public event. Like it's in the world book, mm. so it it got out. I don't think you need a, a little finger to be like, yo, this was what happened. Check check <laughs> it. I'm on Instagram sure. live right now, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just He's periscoping. I don't <laughs> y'all would not believe this. I don't see it as like Littlefinger having been the one to inform everyone like, yo, Liana disappeared. You idiots. I see it as more of him ribbing someone being like, how can you protect Catelyn when you can't even protect your sister, you big huh. dummy? That's what I mean, like, in that it's not, yeah. like, super intentional on his part. It's just something, like, some salty-ass kid says. Right, right, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting under Brandon's skin a little bit. Um, and we see he does it all the time with like, Ned. He just makes these little comments, and you're like, excuse me? Oh, for sure. Yeah, right. that's his whole thing, is, like, seeing how much he can get away with. I mean, he's, he's a... <laughs> Uh, is that sociopath? I can't, I can't remember like which. Uh, I think it's what, what uh, that is. Uh, obviously. I'm not a doctor. P- but, piece of um, shit. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> the, the I was trying to think of something like that. <laughs> oh, you're you're right. Yeah, hold up. Uh, let me let me open my my DSM four here real quick. Um, <laughs> a little oh, finger yep, would be braver is. than I ever thought if he actually taunted Brandon after he basically almost killed him. Like oh, that, yeah. that that takes some balls. Yeah, and why would? Yeah, I, I I feel like Peter Peter is dumb, like not dumb, uh, 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 obnoxious enough. I mean, suppose he loves sick. He's a that's, preteen. That's but why yeah, would that, that too? But why right. would Brandon take him seriously? That's the other part. Like he he, mm. he hates Lovanger. Why would he believe him? Well, I'm not saying he believes. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't think it's that he's taking Littlefinger seriously or any information that Littlefinger gets. I'm saying people already fucking know, and Littlefinger's out here being like. Yeah, dummy. Right, sure. <laughs> mm, yeah. And like ribbing him and being like, wow, you're really not going to go out there? Or I don't know. He's not like doing it intentionally. It's just like, I don't know, <laughs> under maybe saying something under his breath. Right. Right. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's why I see it as not super implausible. So like the soft version right. of this theory, yeah, where yeah. it's not necessarily like mastermind Littlefinger, but just like they, they played a role in the, in the the motivations for Brandon to go off the rails a little more than even Brandon might usually be expected to. Yeah, like this might be I don't know the Diet Coke version, right of the <laughs> right. of the original theory, and mine is I don't know the fucking La Croix of this theory, sure, no yeah, flavor yeah, yeah. whatsoever. Theirs is the Budweiser and yours is the O'Doul's. Um, oh God! I think. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be like uh, like he did with Loras to get him on the Kingsguard, where he didn't yes. tell Loras to join the Kingsguard, but he had rumors go out and have people sing songs about how great knights were and heroes of the past in order to make Loras think that was a good idea. That would be more him rather than just like, hey man. You, well, you're yeah, really gonna let this happen? But that's, well, yeah, but that, that's totally plausible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's what Eliana's saying, right? That's like, oh, yeah, that's over years. Like him doing what he did to Loris is something after years of like figuring out. All right, this is how you push people's buttons. But when you're like, what is he? He's like twelve or like thirteen or something, right? At this time, and like he doesn't know. He doesn't. You don't have any subtlety at that age. Like I'd be <laughs> yeah. impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you have subtlety at that age, it's because you're, what, Arya, <laughs> right? And you've been trained to be an assassin and are being taught to do so at threat of beating. 
All right, and so we have also another tier two category, and this one is the best catch, which goes to user Monkavelli. Mm. Uh, and this post is entitled Theory on How Euron Walked the Doom Without Setting a Foot in Valyria. And it discusses again that idea that how could Euron have gotten his Valyrian seal armor when we know from Fire and Blood that Aria, having gone there on Valyrian, struggled being there because eventually she had like fucking worms inside of her and died. And their suggestion oh. is that Euron uh, used warging. Mm. to, you know, warg his crewmen and have them go into Valyria to get things. Huh. Uh, I believe you mean the skin changing, <laughs> not warging. I did, I know, I know but I, 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 you could hear I paused. I was like, warging? Yeah. Uh, but I'm not trying to be like, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to be out of go with it. You committed. <laughs> um yeah no i mean they do they do have warging as their like you know uh impact sentence there no but uh, uh yeah other than that no it, it's a it's a fun catch um i don't know i i feel like i hadn't seen this posted somewhere before although it seems really obvious now that it's posted like i i, I don't know had you thought about that at all i mean do you really think though that like i i thought that you brand warging hodor skin changing hodor is supposed to be this like you know a, a very rare event so i wonder if it's mm -hmm. really that easy for mm -hmm. you're to supposedly be skin changing all of his crewmates and if it's not just some sort of i don't know weird power play he's doing or like he can sort of dip into them but he doesn't really know how much like hodor's just like simpleton who is essentially we'll probably find out designed for bran and so it's like right. is Euron just like fuck that kid i'm i'm gonna skin change 20 guys get me some armor get get me some mango mango salsa in valyria come back at that point he's just like the most powerful character in the right story. and it's just like does that sure, make okay. brand's event not so rare i mean but then again it makes him a very formidable opponent for brand especially when they'll probably meet in the uh astral plane fight their lightsaber duel i'm gonna i'm gonna throw cold water on this theory but i like the 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 idea at the base of it is that he used his crew. I think that's probably yeah. like the actual nice, nice catch. He just like at the point of a sword said, go out there or else you die right now because he's that kind of asshole. Got his crew to go scavenge, not because um, mm. that's the kind of person he is. You don't have to skin change dudes in order to get them to do that kind of thing when you're as cruel as you're on. You can just use violence as a threat if you want. But this theory does lay out that that's basically what he did. And that's probably true. Such a such a good guy. Yeah, <laughs> a real gem. Um, I mean, and and we do see an example of it from Veramir as well, who does. Um, I mean, he doesn't really succeed in skin changing Thistle in the prologue, but he comes close, and that's in a very like weakened state, and he's you know he's not doing great. Um, I think it's fair to say that Euron is at least is probably going to be for just story purposes at least as competent a skin changer as Veramir, if not more so, if he is a skin changer, like. We have to sort of up the threat level with Bran a little bit if he's if he's a Bran opponent. So he's, he's probably at least... So I could see him... And the the other wrinkle being maybe... Uh, maybe the if it's... If your crew person or your, your like, skin-changing subject is willing, it's easier. Like, maybe he, he basically, like, browbeats them into uh, 
like accepting his his control or something like maybe thistle fights it right and and hodor retreats from it but could a person like give themselves to that's very uh, keeping within his character too and what we know about him so yeah actually uh i never thought about it that way and i literally just thought about it that way and with the brand the idea is that hodor retreats because he's already been skin changed once you know i I don't know if it's gonna play out exactly like in the show but i think it's gonna be very similar probably at least in Mm -hmm. terms of i don't know time stuff and And just the the general too the general idea will be this you know yeah it's not that hodor was made for bran or that it was easier for bran to skin change into hodor it's it's the idea that it's easier now for bran to skin change into hodor because it's that idea that's brought up in the books of a horse that's already been broken will be easier to ride in subsequent times yeah that's that's something that gets I, i'm pretty sure varamir says something almost exactly like that maybe it's from varamir that yeah, would make perfect sense dogs. <laughs> when he's talking about dogs yeah oh yeah yeah you can yeah. just slip um, into them right so, I, like, I, I guess I can, uh, I, I can see a way that it works for Euron here. But agreed, the the main thrust of it that he doesn't need to set foot on Valyria right. to get his Valyria yeah. swag. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. Totally that's in keeping point. with how he operates. Yeah, especially I feel like it also. There's always that. There's that moment with Roderick the Reader where Roderick's like. Have you really been to Valyria? And he's like, kind of. Like, how, how, how dare? Yeah, basically, I've been I to stepped Valyria. on the beach, bro. <laughs> yeah. I went to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. It's good too. Yeah. They use fire and blood and bring in that whole area because that was like frightening. And it's who the hell knows is what's really going on in Valyria. Maybe she just spent oh. too much time there because like, a bad sunburn. Yeah, she got the Montezuma's right. Revenge of Valyria. Exactly. Oh. The worst uh, kind. Yeah. Uh, I still like the theory that uh, Euron has become a giant fireworm at this yeah. point. Men no, in Black style yeah, from I our last episode. Men in Black also. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ariel went and she came back with the, with a t-shirt mm-hmm. that said, I went to Valyria and all I got were these lousy fireworms. <laughs> can, we get a some, can we get some fan art of that? that would Let's be, get some uh, merch going. Yeah. Maester Monthly merch. <laughs> mm. I think it would just be a big just like bestiality across it. That's all it would say. Yeah, God. people would love to wear that T-shirt. With the fireworks. <laughs> just a shirt that. What if it just said, yeah? What if it just said "Bestial" in like Ariel Black font? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Christ. Or that that picture of the three of us is the uh, Aegon and his sisters. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I think we need a bigger Targaryen fan. We need all thirty-seven mods uh, in like a Ooh. Targaryen family portrait. Yeah. Um, I bet we could do that. We could figure it out. Why though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why though? <laughs> Why not? Uh. Speaking of saying why, though, Matt, do you want to do our next category? (laughs) Sure thing. Our next category in our tier two rewards is the Alchemist Award, the theory most likely to make you want to light yourself on fire, if true, by user Everything M, the dark secret of Boros Blunt. (gasps) The main thrust of this theory is that... uh, Boros Blunt gets kind of embarrassed in A Song of Ice and Fire as he has to become a food taster because he's so bad at his job. And the dark secret of Boros Blunt is that he will take his revenge, rat cook style, and eat Tom and Baratheon after <laughs> killing him. Mwah-ah-ah, eldritch horror. Boros Blunt. I mean, yeah, that's basically it. That That is the whole <laughs> thing, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 
I mean, it, this would be like the darkest thing in A Song of Ice and Fire if it was true, maybe. Like Tommen, the wonderful little cherub. It would yeah. be eaten by gross boros. It would be the darkest thing if he had him with a side of beets. Oh. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <sighs> now there is some there is some fine etymology in this post, um, which is the uh, uh, that apparently you know boros they say is obviously derived from the ancient Greek. Obviously. Um, obviously yeah. translated into English means eating or devouring. And then his last name, Blount, which, yeah, Gurm switched to Old French for this inspiration, uh, comes from the French word blonde, meaning blonde or fair. So I thought you said blunt for a second. Yeah, he's eating the blunt. No, he's, uh, he's blunt, smoking up. So he's literally eating the blonde one. You know, that's, that's uh, if you combine the ancient Greek and Old French uh, lib- liberally. Um, <laughs> George and his baby books just looking up. Okay, so I need somebody that's gonna eat a blonde haired guy. Yep, yep. Now I I was a big fan of the top comment on this, um, by NPW three nine four eight seven W three P R E G I H. Yeah. Um Trenchers of savory roasted tum and baratheon stuffed with onions and mushrooms swimming in heavy cream and butter along with turnips and neeps, uh, great neeps. loaves of brown bread and a wheel of cheese and thick brown ale. But no beets. No beets. Okay. Yeah, really missing do you, it. Do you think Sir Pounce joins in? Uh, Sir Pounce oh. is the, uh, the food appetizer. Tester. All of your cats will eat you if you're dead long enough. That's that's actually true, yeah. Hashtag they true. Don't care about I mean, it. that is another very dark theory about Tommen, is that true. Uh, the, his, his cats oh, will right. be poisoned with basilisk blood, and then they will go berserk and eat him. Um, so maybe Boros just helps out or right. something. He you know? walks in at the most opportune time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew I liked these cats. And he's like, "Whoa, these cats!" He, and he steals he steals the kill from the cats. He's like, "You're not gonna eat this whole meal." Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. hungry. He, like, he like bears his teeth. Yeah. He roars like a lion. Um, shoo, shoo! I just fed you. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! It's gonna be really funny when in uh you know the winds of winter someone's going through like Boros Blount's possessions and they find this this book and it's titled "To Serve Man." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh wow! What uh, is it? The from. Uh, I, I got it. Red, I got it. Red Dragon with uh, Hannibal has the books on how to, mm. on anatomy, and on it he points to a body part and says how you to cook it. And it was like, oh no, oh no, he's a cannibal. I think really the most offensive, the thing about this post that makes me want to set myself on fire the most is the way the quotation marks are, uh, like <laughs> it's a it's a lower quotation mark at the beginning and an upper one at the end. Is that what is that? Is that like a That's stylistic trolling. thing? You know this how it, sh- I think it's like it's that somewhere, but I don't know where. Okay, is this like a foreign language? It's not German. It's not German. It's not Spanish. It's... I didn't think so. It's not French, how... so far as I know. How do you even do that in your? Uh... Maybe it's ancient Greek. The dark arts. Yeah, maybe you had to have eaten someone to unlock this skill. <laughs> this is how you know Cthulhu wrote this. Right. You got the things to switch up and it's upside down on you. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's the upside down. Dutch. It's Dutch. Dutch. It's maybe. Dutch. Oh. Possibly. I always knew Dutch were evil. <laughs> now, now, I, I mean, know why. obviously, we know that um, Boris Blunt is actually a reference to LeGarrett Blunt, who plays on the Detroit Lions. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, formerly of the Patriots. Formerly the Patriots. And, and in fact, I don't think he was uh, playing football when the series was started because he was born he in was, 1986. So. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> in elementary school, you know. Yeah. 
It's the long con. Wow. Does like anybody have a theory on how Tommen just has like a good life and doesn't die in a horrible way? No, why would we have that? That it's not. That's what I want prophecy. for him. That would be shiniest tinfoil next year. You heard it here first. Uh, it's going to be a shiny tinfoil theory about how Tommen doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> Becomes the best king of the seven kingdoms it's ever uh, seen. Yeah. To serve Tom men. I'm still. I'm still trying to figure out a good way to. Make that one work. Um. Tom many cooks. Tom many cooks. <laughs> Tom many cooks. <laughs> With Boris Blunt in the background <laughs> as the killer. <laughs> oh wow! You you That's think great. you could sous vide Tommen? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I'm not a big fan of that, but you little know, people are. And there's oh, a yeah, marketplace sure. for it. I have a sous vide. <laughs> I know. I know a guy up in White Harbor. <laughs> next category in our tier two awards is for funniest post and we have turn shroud with pomegranates how do they work there's a, a scene in song uh storm of swords where Littlefinger and sansa are eating fruit and Littlefinger offers sansa some of his pomegranate um which is ostensibly a callback to uh the persephone greek myth um where mm, she gets mm. dragged down to the underworld and hades offers her a pomegranate and she eats some of the seeds and then she has to live there for half the year but um sansa denies the pomegranate but the our poster here has a has a contention with the way that peter is described eating the pomegranates mm. um that he loosened the seed the point of his dagger uh which no, he says no one uses a knife to remove pomegranate seeds, George. It sounds weird and impractical. Why would you even do that? Well, Peter Baelish is weird and impractical. And then uh, he brought the seed to the mouth to his mouth with the knife. Which you know how small a, how do you know how small a pomegranate seed is, George? Do you realize there's a hard bit in there too? Um, and then the last part, he smiled his his thin lips, bright red from the pomegranate seeds. How? Um, yeah. How do you fuck up eating a pomegranate that your whole mouth is covered in like, like the seeds you pop <laughs> in? <laughs> yeah, is he just? Cut his mouth on the dagger is what happened. I mean, <laughs> it was too small. The seed was too small, and he just He's gonna like cut like his tongue. Put a smile on that face, little finger. I love the image. Yeah. Okay, but the the <laughs> actual way to eat pomegranate seeds is way less sexy than that. Was that cons- was that supposed to be sexy? I don't I mean, know. Oh, that's like, a bummer. You know. Peter I, Baelish cutting himself on all that edge. He he knows he knows how to uh, he likes keeping his hands clean. You got to give him that. He says, "Wash your hands after mm, you eat a pomegranate." He knows what he's talking I mean, about. You should do that. He, he's yeah. a man who knows how to eat a pomegranate. Clearly, <laughs> he's eaten many pomegranates, <laughs> but Germ so. has not. I I bet. Do, I mean, yeah, actually, like, do you think George R. Martin has ever eaten a pomegranate? Where he was just like writing and was like, uh, pomegranate, yeah, sure. Right, like he, he wanted the symbolism of the pomegranate and knew it had seeds that you eat. But like... Or maybe, since he's such a trope breaker, he breaks tropes about eating pomegranates. <laughs> Listen, guys, they're fantasy pomegranate. pomegranates. It doesn't have to be real. It's That's fine. Right, the, seeds, the seeds in his pomegranates are actually like the size of strawberries. <laughs> Why not? They're Valyrian pomegranates. <laughs> yeah. They're very large. Yeah. Can I talk about this comment now? Yeah, please. Yeah. Yes. I just like refuse to move past I know. this post if we don't discuss this comment. I'm sorry. It 
<laughs> the comment says from OP, OP is turn shroud, says to me it seems like a culture thing, like how many Americans also don't know how to cut a mango, apparently. Apparently this is a thing that Americans don't know how to eat mangoes. I'm gonna tell you all about my coworkers once. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Where's uh one of my coworkers? You know, he's Latino, his parents like own a farm, they send us a bunch of fruits, was which was very nice. There was a lemon the size of my head. I was like, this is incredible. I've never seen a lemon this big. But anyway, they send some mangoes along as well. And turns out my coworkers don't know how to eat a mango, and so what they fuck <laughs> I guess they didn't know how to cut it either, and he ate the skin of oh, the mango. Oh. And like, I, the, that's so unpleasant. Wait, did they eat it like an apple that just bit into it? I, I'm unsure. I, what did they, they ate do? The skin, though. What did they do when they got to the core? I don't know. I, we were just like, what? So between oh. me, my Indian coworker, because you know I grew up uh, in a Filipino American family. I'm Filipina ethnically, and and my coworker's Latin American, and we were just like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> you ate the mango skin it's it's funny you say that because a couple comments down from from the the mango one is someone who says um this this comment is from uh ngp1623 and they say i used to work at a grocery store and once saw someone weigh an orange then proceed to stand in the aisle and eat it peel and all like an apple <laughs> then they came to the cash register and told us the weight paid and left <laughs> Which I also know the ultimate power move. I, I actually, I actually have to wash the peels of the oranges that I serve in my house because my son will eat the peels. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, I have a friend who does that, and I, the moment I found that out, I texted him. Was like, "Why do you do this?" And he's like, "It tastes good." I, he, he likes, I guess, how the bitterness contrasts with the sweetness and the acidity sure. in it. But I'm like. And I was like, do you eat the peels of bananas? Do you eat the peels of like all these other things? He's like, no, that's disgusting. I was like, <laughs> so when my when my grandfather first came to the, United, to the United States of America, he had never seen a banana before. And this guy gave him a banana and he did try to eat it like that. Like he tried to eat. Uh, he was like 14 or something, but he tried to eat it like like a hot dog. You know, just like <laughs> taking a banana. You know, that is actually how uh, with mustard like, on apes it. eat them. <laughs> they eat them uh, peel and all. They just sort of bite into them from the side. Do they, they really? don't actually peel? Yeah. yeah, they don't actually peel them open. That's in- it's so incidentally it- how my son eats hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> from the like side. a banana. No, he peels no, it. from the middle. <laughs> oh, peels oh. the bread off. Wow, <laughs> right, yeah, like, that's a move. Like you don't start at one end. You like just ah. Oh. <laughs> Yes. Just right in the yes, middle. Yes, right in the middle. Like that, like that Twin Peaks scene where, where they're eating like a baguette with bread on it, and they just bite in the direct center of the baguette. Oh my god! No, I've lost. Oh, it. that scene was so disturbing, and now in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. I don't know how to eat a mango. My only experiences with mangoes are like in juice and candy. So if you mm. presented one to me, I would be flummoxed. You have to but cut. You have to cut the two lumpy sides off, mm-hmm. and then you have to score it and kind of like pop them out of the peel. Yeah, you don't even have to. Mm. Score All I it. heard was eat it like an apple. Yeah, well, if it's really ripe, <laughs> you can just pop them out. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It depends mm. on the kind of mango. There are many kinds of mangoes in the world, you know. Just like there are many kinds of people, but and many different pomegranate seeds within one pomegranate. Oh, <laughs> we- oh wow, wow. But let's that not was... let's not poke them with knives. Beautiful. <laughs> I got scared off strange fruit after I thought I was eating an orange and it was a grapefruit, and now I'm very careful around fruit. Oh, I like grapefruit. Yeah, me too. That would have been nice. Grapefruit surprise. (laughs) It was not a surprise. It was horrible. Uh, I don't know. I was like, what is this? I kind of dig that. Do you not like grapefruits? No. Oh. Oh. No. Wow. 
They're so good though. Yeah. Yeah. So you've are they though? You've sworn off fruit then? Is that <laughs> weird fruit? That's that's weird a move fruit. too. That's it's a Tommen esque move, you know? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time for us to all feast upon Matt. <laughs> So our uh, final tier two award goes to a best analysis that is not character related. And this was a post that's called The Evolution of Germ's Writing Style Between a Game of Thrones and a Feast for Crows, A Dance of Dragons, and Beyond. And this was done by the user by the name of Dzun, I'm going to go with, mm. Dzun. I don't know, but it's, it's a good collection of letters there, <laughs> Dzun. Um, anyway, I, I really liked this post. I thought this was great. It was just a really, I, I like posts like this a lot where it talks about Germ's writing style and how it's changed. Cause it's, it's interesting when you read the books, I mean, especially now, since, uh, you know, so many of us, we've done it in quick succession. It's not like you're doing this over time when they were written and, uh, you really do see s- such a shift in his prose and his style. Um, and that it has its, uh, there's pros and cons to that because, like what uh, Dzun here talks about is how uh, in the later books, uh, Germ's gotten more descriptive. Um, it, it's also he's built more in terms of, you know, world building and getting down into uh, characters and their, their thoughts and their histories. But the uh, I guess the, the downside of this is that, you know, A Game of Thrones is such a, a terse book. It's, you know, mm. uh, it moves very well. You get all the things you need to. And I mean, obviously, like we're seeing with Winds of Winter, Germ's style maybe might be harming the uh, release. You know, it might be holding it up a little bit when it comes down to him. Uh, I mean, just look at, f- for example, what we have so far. There's two Ariane chapters, which uh, while I think they're both great, you could probably fit those down into one if you're really worried about time that much mm. but one one part of this post i really liked a lot too was um the the part about the uh when he was comparing the deaths of mm. uh crescent and pate and just kind of how they were both poisoned but for pate there's it's a little more uh i mean he kind of says in the post too it's a little more show don't tell and it's it's different how you know the, I'll, just to read the passage real quick for for Crescent, you know, it's iron fingers tightened around his neck. But then when you get to Pate, it was halfway down the alley when the cobblestones began to move. The stones are slick and wet. So it's like, you know, it, it, his style has definitely changed. And I think, I personally think for the better. But um, I definitely see the downside of it too. So, discuss. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I loved, I didn't even see this post until it was nominated for Best Of. So I'm, I'm glad it won. Um because uh, yeah and you picked out my favorite part too which is the two deaths um because it is interesting we have these two prologues where you know uh these dudes get poisoned these maesters get poisoned um but crescens is uh i i it, it feels more um uh more direct like he's, he's telling us what we're seeing whereas with pate you know we're 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 experiencing the things that pate is experiencing his legs turn to water you know the stones are slick the cobblestones are moving um it's all kind of it very much in his head as opposed to being kind of outside right. of crescent's head a little bit with the camera um and there's some more talk in the post about that that uh point of view camera moving in a little closer in the head especially with regards to Aaron, um the sound of a door opening the scream of rusted hinge all that um yeah i thought it was a fantastic post yeah definitely more like that yeah more please
<laughs> I uh, especially love the section on Connington and Rhaegar and this, mm, right. and the um, the level of self deception that George has written in, and how even in his own head, Connington's like rewriting what he just thought. He's like, ah, oh, Rhaegar is so wonderful because he was a great prince. Like very quickly, like coming back in to convince himself that he wasn't saying what he was really saying, <laughs> and um, that level of thought process isn't something you, you really see in the early books, and it really gives you a lot of look into how Connington thinks about himself, how he thinks about Rhaegar, and where he's going, and that he's extremely capable of self-delusion, very good at convincing himself of things in order to justify things. So as we're looking forward as Connington, as he invades the Seven Kingdoms, how he thinks about Rhaegar may be how he justifies doing horrible things across the kingdom in that kind of way. He's very good at separating his goals from what he really thinks. I thought that was a, an excellent post uh, point about him. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny in that section too. He actually, um, Dazon writes, uh, like his own version of what the bad version would be of John Connington, <laughs> which obviously, you know, um, as, as they say, you know, this would be very different if George wrote it, but the idea being that it, it could be a lot more direct John Connington's internal, narrative you know with something like um by the end of it the mad king was dead and so was the silver prince whose ghost he loved even till this day um as opposed to showing us you know the complicated way john con feels about rhaegar without saying john con loved rhaegar like <laughs> without making it yeah. that direct um and i do feel like in a game of thrones he would have written something closer to to the second uh, to that that alternate version where we would get something like you know John Connington still loved the ghost of his silver prince or something very, very uh, straightforward. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good post. Everyone should go read it. Uh, it won an award, a well-deserved two, tier two award. You can find it on the subreddit for A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. Uh, H double TPS colon <laughs> slash slash www.reddit.com slash r slash ass waff. Well, that brings us to the Tier 3 Awards, um, and these are awards which received, um, I, I believe it was Reddit Silver or the equivalent thereof. Um, so these were awards that we wanted to recognize people for, that the community wanted to recognize people for, um, that some of these awards have never been in the best ofs before. They're, they're new this year. Others have been around for a little while. Um, this one, I believe, was a new one this year, the Manus Award. Um, I don't think we've had that before, have we? Um, uh, I think that's so, a new one. I'm fairly sure it's new. Uh, the Manus Award is for not bending the knee. It is the most stubborn defender of their own theory. Um, and incredibly ironically, uh, this was won by user Mithras underscore Stoneborn um, for their post, We Should Not Need Germ's Word to call a character righteous. Um, and this is specifically about Stannis and how George R. R. Martin has said, uh, uh, Stannis becomes one of the few characters fully to understand uh, the wall, which is why in spite of everything, he is a righteous man. Um, Where'd you get that audio clip? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I asked um, uh, the, the man who was doing the interview, who was actually my father, but th th Mithras's point was that um, we, we don't have to, we, we shouldn't just accept George R. R. Martin's word on this, that Stannis is a righteous man, that the evidence should be there in the text, and that in fact, 
Mithras believes Stannis is not a righteous man. Uh, that he's, he's in fact not righteous. And he got downvoted in the thread. Uh, he ate some downvotes mm-hmm. for this one. Um, uh, he, he, you know, uh, really, really took a beating, but came out on top in the end because he won this award for not bending the knee, uh, being the most, uh, you know, um, confident believer of his own theory. So, so props to you, Mithras underscore Stoneborn. Um, do you guys have anything to add about, uh, his, his, his assertion about the author, the death of the author maybe here? Well, he he makes a really good point uh, about how, like, sure, Stannis, you know, he he might be the one who's actually seeing the bigger picture when it comes to the war. But one thing we still haven't seen is Stannis will kill Shireen, most likely. Um, And so there's no redeeming himself after that. Like, as great as a character, who knows, like, anything he could do. He could personally go into the heart of winter and, like, piss all over it. And 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 stab it, sure. and and you know, just like I don't give a shit, I'm Stannis. But uh, it's a classic Stannis, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it won't change the fact that you know he burnt his daughter alive. So, what's it, the name of his daughter again? Could you say it again for us? Shireen. Nice. Uh, no, no, I no. I think it's good. That, I think it's better to say Shireen because then it fits better in the Dolly Parton song. Um, Shireen, 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 well, wait, Shireen. How do you say it? You know what I'm saying. Shireen. 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 I do sound like I'm like, yeah, yo, Shireen. <laughs> I'm going on down, Shireen. Yeah, we're going to get some. There's a some twang sh- to that. Chinese. We're going to get some Chinese food at Shireen. <laughs> there's a, there's a, uh, a Paul F. Tompkins character he does on, on his comedy podcasts um, who, uh, instead of pronouncing the word siren like a police siren, he'll say sirens. Uh, <laughs> that's all i'm hearing now well uh yeah. shireen I'll, I'll, I'll switch for you no 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 uh keep it keep it keep we were it. just taken aback um, <laughs> i've never heard it said that way before shireen. that's that's the way george would probably pronounce it because yeah. like he pronounced brienne brian well that was roy dochi yeah so think, yeah but but still stonis and toman Sh- yeah shireen dolly parton shireen he says doth rock and i'm like that's wrong george I know you wrote this, but yeah, Dothrakai. Um, Dothrakai. <laughs> that's wrong. Just that's just dumb. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it it is interesting because this is a post. Uh, it it got four net upvotes, and I guarantee you that was a war of downvotes and upvotes on this thing. Yes, it was. Um, but you know, there's. I think this is kind of a fun best of category. Uh, I'm warming to it in, in my cold heart because. I think there's a lot of these kind of posts on the subreddit where someone posts something that like maybe a lot of people don't agree with or maybe is objectively wrong, but that they, uh, you know, defend or that they, they discuss heavily and that they are willing to like engage on. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad there's a way to uh, to recognize someone who, who sticks to their guns, right. even to the bitter end. And then some um, just like Stannis himself. <laughs> wow. Oh my god, he became the thing he hates. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I actually I, I agree with Mithras in this post. Downvote me all you want. I, I do have um I agree with the general idea that just because George has this idea of righteousness doesn't mean you have to agree with what that means for the character. You're allowed to uh have your own reaction to a character and their motivations. Mm-hmm. Like he his word on how a character should be perceived is not the end-all be-all. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that, too. I, that's, I think, you know, we've discussed before probably, like, the difference between 
death of the author versus not. And in theory crafting, you can't get rid of the author because literally it's what happens in the story. But you can when it comes to analysis and how you interpret characters. And mm -hmm. You know, Ray Bradbury, right? Again, I, this is the example I always come back to. He thinks Fahrenheit 451 isn't about censorship, but like, it is. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's, yeah. Just because the author says something about their story is true doesn't mean it is true. Um, unless, of course, they're saying it, that Storm's End is not a spaceship, in which case that right, is true. Right. It's a different but, but well, that would be different. That's a, that's a factual part yeah. of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Like thematic analysis, yes, yeah. understanding a character. Yeah. Interpretation of a character, what you think of them morally, what do you think of their actions? That's, that's much more death of an author mm -hmm. style thing rather mm -hmm. than factual things in the story. Mm -hmm. How how you say his daughter's name? Yeah, that's Shireen, the right of an author. Yeah, he, George R. Martin has, if you will, quite taken himself out of that. He's like, I don't know, say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carecide. He's gotten too much crap over it over the years. I'm pretty sure his... he doesn't always say things the same way, like twice. No, I I, I, I listened to that at when we were at the uh, what's it called the Fire and Blood reading. He would he goes back and forth with Aegon and Aegon. Uh, yeah, and like John Hodgman, like even asked him about. It. He's like, "How do we say this?" Because like his nickname's Egg, and George just threw out a word and probably didn't stick to it. <laughs> I've even heard uh, LML likes thinking of it as Edge on Edge on. Edge on. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, his name was that for a while on Twitter. Yeah, it, it's part of a complicated theory. Oh, but yes. okay. about edging. Oh, oh. yes, <laughs> yes, it is about edging. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Waluigi? <laughs> no, we're talking about Aegon, aren't we? Yeah. Wah! There we go. Sir Duncan the Tall Award. We've had it for the past few years. And of course, it goes to the user who is committed to substantively engaging with other people on the subreddit. All in all, being just a great, awesome user. And this year, it has gone to user Elaine Moonstone. Yay! Yay. Shut. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, Elaine Moonstone's great. Like, I've seen them around the yeah. subreddit. And, they, yeah, they do substantive... I don't... I'm going to change the way that I pronounce this word. Substantively engage with other people, not only in terms of, like, talking with them about their stuff. They're pointing other people to resources. Good stuff. Definitely, yeah. Congrats. Yeah, uh, they've they've been like regularly not just posting their own stuff, although actually they have been posting, especially the like lately as of recording. Um, there's been a couple posts in the last week or two, but um, in, in the comments, like hanging out in the comments, which is where the meat exactly. of the subreddit is, and uh, it takes a special kind of person to like be in the comments, to be like you know engaging. And to not slip into sort of like flame war, war kind of like or like quoting each other extensively at each other, like all those kind of things. <laughs> it, ta it takes a true knight. Um, so that is why Elaine Moonstone, I think, rightfully won the Sir Duncan the Tall Award. Um, because whether or not they have taken the, the, the vows of a knight, uh, they are a true knight, sir. Sir Milady, Elaine Moonstone <laughs> is a broken moonstone in a land. Did someone say broken man? <laughs> in like a basic way, the rules of the subreddit are to encourage you to be like Elaine, basically. Yo, how do we not have a broken man award? Throwing that out there next year, because we're all the broken men. Uh, yeah, that's yeah true. Actually, we should, you know, if the Winds of Winter is not out next year, we are going to have a Broken Man Award for, like, the person who, who had the most breakdown 
this this year. Yeah, the best um, breakdown this year. The person oh who God. it's going to happen during the show completely <laughs> lost their yes. mind. I still haven't gotten that Wii. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So our next award is the best critter post, which is about the natural world and critters in a song of ice and fire, and it goes to user E space. <laughs> V space A space N or I guess Evan. Evan. That's how you'd normally say it. Evan. Evan. Evanescent. That's how it is. Yeah. There's a lot of silent letters in there. It could be Stefan. You could be supposed to be pronouncing the underscores as well. E underscore. Yes. E underscore. Well, let's get George R. Martin on the phone. Let's figure this out. He knows how to pronounce it. Yeah. And uh, this is a really incredible project that he's been working on for, it looks like for almost a year now, where he has sought to classify the animals in A Song of Ice and Fire in High Valyrian, like they were a real taxonomy. And he's gotten help from David Peterson, who created the High Valyrian and Dothraki languages, and been posting regular updates, and finally posted a final one. And it's really impressive to read through. He gives rationale for how he's coming up with the different names, where they're coming from. One of, one of the funny ones is um, uh, the old man of the river. He calls it Martino Quintrier. These are hard to pronounce. But he gave it Martin because old man of the river, giant turtle Martin. You know. mm. it, it's, it's a lot of really fun stuff like that. You can see George doing this if he had the, um, the etymology, the taxonomy knowledge to figure this out. This is really another makes one a lot that, of sense. that definitely took a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, tons and of work. <laughs> and it shows off. It's, it's interesting. For a while, you, you start to wonder if this is, uh, how much this is real or not. Because it really does read like a, uh, he has references. Right. He posed, he made up his own journal, it looks like, to post this on. Or oh, is, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's like an unofficial, but or it's, oh, yeah. it's a not peer-reviewed yeah. journal of, uh, uh, what is it, G- Journal of Geek Studies? Yeah, journal of, yeah. Geek. of Geek Studies, that's right. Can we get someone to peer-review this, too? I mean... Can we start a GoFundMe for that? <laughs> is that is that how, like, uh, scientific literature, like... like I, I, yeah. I never went past a bachelor's, and I never wrote a thesis. I this guess, so this is what we're going to do. Well, Everybody puts up five bucks, winner gets a wee... <laughs> <laughs> we do we do have an angry biologist on our mod team oh we yeah. do uh, oh we should have asked we should have asked them how how angry they were about this if, if how, how biologists they were about this uh, most of all i like the i like biologist as an emotion <laughs> i'm feeling pretty biologist yeah not a lot one. more to say yeah. about it it's it's a really cool resource and an amazing uh fan creation project Definitely. it is The next award is the Citadel Award for Best Research Theory or Analysis. And it was won by user M. Tootles for Sansa and Sandor's real but still figurative wedding. The main feature of this post is Sansa and Sandor's real but still figurative wedding, as the title implies. Some people, um, Cantus in particular, a user on the sub, has written about um, when Sansa has her first moon blood and she tries to hide the sheets by burning them and that there's some fire blood, fire, yeah, fire blood, blood magic going on, um, that it was used to summon a hero for herself in the form of Sandor. But um, M. Tootles elaborates on that 
saying that the the imagery in those chapters when Sandor sort of, you know, takes Sansa under his wing, that that's a figurative wedding because in the book it says she found his cloak on the floor twisted up tight, the white wool stained by blood and fire. A chill wind was blowing, banging the shutter. Sansa was cold. She took out the torn cloak and huddled beneath it on the floor, shivering. So obviously um, cloaks play a big role in weddings in Mm. Westeros. Sansa huddling under his cloak being protected by that is a figurative bride's cloak. So, I mean, I think the reason it won the the Citadel one is because there's a bunch of references throughout, too. Like, um, Cantus, we mentioned, Seventh Queel also, which is a username I feel like we haven't heard in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. uh, a post from A.O. Shadow as well. Um, or, A.O. Uh, sorry, well, actually, the, the post was written by uh, Lady Guinevere, but um, was linked to our mm-hmm. our author yeah. here by A.O. Shadow. So, you know, this this sort of fandom collaboration element and it is a very long post. So if you sit down to read this, uh, know you're in for quite a bit. There's a nice summary that's about halfway through it that sums up like <laughs> most of the cloak imagery. Um, and Sandor being associated with a green cloak that he like gets bloody and uh, oh my gosh, all this There's all this stuff. Cloak um, imagery, tree imagery, vows. Yeah. Um, before the, trees the, the fake sansa wedding before a tree with that cloak like you know that's tied in as well um gosh yeah there's it's it's so <laughs> thorough it's such a thorough post they really took apart like every little thread possible from the soon every thread yeah oh, thread okay huh? 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 did they die they? okay uh i i always enjoy these kind of posts um because they're taking a concept Martin has put somewhere else in the story and seeing how it fits in different parts and seeing what mm. they can tell us about the characters. Like one of my favorite examples of this is Jamie on the iron throne after Ned comes to see him with his sword across his lap and looking down on him. And in that moment, from a certain cultural perspective in Westeros, Jamie's actually king because he slew the old one. That used to be how it worked. There was no succession. It was basically like strongest guy for themselves. So in that sense, like Jamie abdicated a throne from that perspective. And it's kind of like this, just different ways of looking at it and taking different cultural understandings from across the continent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and they do address, M. Toodles does address uh, uh, San San shipping in the comments, um, <laughs> saying that they are not convinced that Sandor and Sansa will end up together. Their comment reads, the fact that there exists a figurative symbolic marriage between them doesn't mean they're headed for a literal marriage. Open parentheses, a stop in the bone zone is more likely for what it's worth. Close parentheses. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so for those who are wondering if this is like a sand sand, it's not, it's not really a, a shipping post. It's, it's, a, it's more analytical, I guess, than trying to reach a conclusion. And I think something that I like about this is, you know, you were talking about how M. Toodles links a bunch of other people who have done work on this such as Cantus, Lady Guinevere, Seventh Quill, and M. Toodles, as we pointed out, has done a lot of research in here, but ultimately what they're doing is building on something that other people have done. It's not completely new, but it's their own spin, it's digging deeper into everything, and like, to be a great contributor in the community, you don't have to just make like this 
completely new thing. Sometimes that leads you astray. So this is exactly what being a community is about, bringing together mm. a bunch of other people's ideas and building something together. Amen, sister. Yes. The real mm -hmm. Song of Ice and Fire. Never mind. Are the friends <laughs> with, yeah. The last of our awards, uh, to, to kind of piggyback off of people who are really contribute a lot to the community and then how we all are able to use that to kind of craft our own theories is the Dondarian Brain Stormlord Award. And this is for kind of the best uh, collaborative effort. And this is going to you, Genkis, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it's a theory really about Littlefinger and Stannis and how they have their kind of, before the story starts, uh, their little uh, really cool buddy cop story that we don't get to read. Um, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, so basically the collaboration here is comes that Genkis, uh, says, uh, uh, there are other writers, other, uh, Redditors that really helped inspire this and where he could put his own little spin on it. And so it is very interesting to look at and to think about this potential, uh, uh, Stannis and Littlefinger relationship. What was it like? Obviously Stannis hates Littlefinger, but he was using him for some reason and uh did they both get out of it with a wad of like clearly Littlefinger did because he's just trying to stir shit up anyway but one thing that this kind of raised a question in my head too is um did did Littlefinger kind of pr predict Stannis's action did he think he was gonna go storming off or was he kind of hoping that he would go and tell Robert so he got Littlefinger gets to screw uh, to stir the pot. He gets to kind of clear this, you know, get the dominoes going. But where did the plan go? Was it foolproof to him? Like, did he expect Stannis to stay and just muck things up further? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's an interesting topic because it's kind of undercovered the stuff that happened before Game of Thrones. I think in the capital. Um, Right. You know, because everything kind of resets and there's this, you know, oh, OK, it doesn't doesn't matter. But um, it's clearly a, a rich topic. And in the comments, uh, Gang Kaus does acknowledge and point out places where they've they're drawing on other other people in the fandom who have written about this. Right. Um, specifically, Stephen Atwell and some some jagoff named Brendan B. Fish. Um, Braden. I think it's Braden. Never heard of him in my life. <laughs> Bryden B. Fish, I think is how that's pronounced. Brayden Smith. Bry Brayden Bifush. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that, that, you know, that this is, uh, that's, that's where we get the, <laughs> I still don't understand why it's called Dendarian Brainstorm Lord, but I, I support it as a community effort. Um, that that's where we get this sort of collaborative thing. Um, it's Brainstorm. Lord. Oh Brainstorm my God! Lord. Wow! So you didn't get that? Did you not <laughs> no, I did not. I got that. I legitimately brainstorm. Thought it was just yeah. Someone naming the yeah. award twice. Yeah. Same. I I didn't get it. Brainstorm, Lord. Oh my God. Well, I we know who's the smartest ones on the cast. Wow. I mean, uh, Waldo, Waldo Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wow. Oh. That wow. changes everything. It does. Does it now make sense? Do you want to re-record? <laughs> we got to do every... Start every, the whole podcast yep, yep. over. We're going again, guys. Just delete the audacity. Let's go. No, <laughs> Let's um, start the whole story over. Yes. Delete it, George. Um, I, I do enjoy this post and looking at the... Like we were talking about earlier with Brandon, how Littlefinger chooses where information goes carefully, at least in his current 
is uh, his, at his current age and skill in the Game of Thrones and manipulating people, that telling Stannis is, was probably to prompt him in a certain way. Where you're pushing out information and what you're expecting is a key part of his strategy. Although we do know that sometimes he just does things for the lols, basically. Hmm. Right. Where he's like, ah, I'm, just, I'm just going for chaos. And this would be an extremely chaotic move. So kind of no matter how you slice it, this makes a lot of sense. as something for motivations for why Littlefinger would uh, tell Stannis about the, um, the bastard children. It's also interesting, too, because Stannis eventually tries to claim like it was his idea. So we don't know whose idea, like who planted that original seed. Because mm-hmm. Stannis tries to be like, oh, yeah, I noticed this totally. But it could have been Littlefinger dropped a little like, wow, you ever seen Robert's bastard? Looks nothing like them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Enjoy this pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> he offers a pomegranate on a dagger to Stannis. Hey, you want to try some pomegranate? Uh, 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 by the seeds? way, those are bastards. Right, yeah. Yeah, just tossing that one out there. Yeah, it's um I don't know, yeah, that that maneuvering and sort of uh pushing people around. It does seem like Littlefinger trying to like you said stir the pot, you know, just 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 throw stuff into into total chaos so that he can um maneuver his way through that in fact you know if if you view his sort of goals as destroying ned destroying robert and like claiming cat like you know basically um this is a great way to start that process you you bring robert closer to war you probably sucker ned down into coming south somehow if if robert's like i'm going to war i need my i need my northern buddy um (laughs) you know True. So. And by telling Stannis, he's a general. So if you're telling him information, his reaction is mostly going to be military, not uh, subtle. Like if you told Renly, Renly would use that somehow politically. I wonder if he did tell Renly, because Renly knows. I mean, it's likely that Renly yeah. knew. Um, we don't technically have it confirmed, but like it, it doesn't make much sense unless he he knows. So I wonder if he told both brothers. Oh, interesting. And to get them to go th- yeah. split off. See, look, I'm, I'm getting my own uh, Dundarian brainstorm lord here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm. Nominate someone else to write it for you. There we go. Yep. Yep. Because yeah. I can. I've heard that works. Hold no titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nominate Brendan Beefish somehow. <laughs> I think it's a good point, though, that they make at the end of, you know, Littlefinger does a good job pivoting quickly and being like, all right, we're going to poison John Aaron now. Uh, <laughs> though that might have been something that was in the cards from before, but they say from there onwards, things turned out pretty favorably for Littlefinger from Bran's accident yeah. to getting Ned's trust and Catelyn's arrest of Tyrion and Robert's very timely death and so on. Like, Littlefinger didn't really plan any of that happening. Nope, it it right. goes to show how much, as people have discussed, George is thumbing the scales. I think you've even spoken about this before, Michael. George is thumbing oh, yeah. the scales in favor of uh, the antagonists for a while. Mm-hmm. And because, like, mm-hmm. things went swimmingly for Littlefinger. Like, <laughs> goddamn, if you want to talk about him as, as Genkaus is in the context of a gambler, like, that is good luck. It really is. Yeah, I mean, and, like, the worst thing that happens to him, I think, is that he gets faked out by Tyrion in Clash. Right. during like, And then he sends Mandon Moore to kill Tyrion and gets Heron Hall anyway. I mean, we don't know he's the one who sent Mandon Moore, but, you know, like... Probably did. He probably did. Um, but, you know, like, he's, and he still ends up on top. Like, he still ends up getting all these titles and stuff. So, yeah, he really hasn't taken much of a, taken much of a hit in terms of his winnings. Yeah, and, well, I think oh, he yet. took <laughs> one 
at the very least one very big mm. hit and we actually haven't seen that emotional impact on him but maybe we will maybe we won't mm. but the prize that he was gambling for he loses from because he forgets that the prize actually has her own agency and decides all right i will in turn kill lord Frey's child and mm. you know end up dying myself it's one of those ways that George tells us sort of like the strategies that he thinks kind of works. He likes Littlefinger's strategy and has it work out a lot because there's no specific steps in place. Whereas if you look at Valerio, uh, <laughs> Valerio, wow, uh, wow yeah. actually that kind of works. Valerio, um, a, a large part of their downfall is they continually have like these detailed step-by-step -step plans. This will happen and this will happen and then this will happen. And it, it never goes the way they want. Whereas Littlefinger just kind of like, hey man, whatever. I'm just going to make stuff happen and take advantage of the results. Whereas where he falls down is where he actually starts moving towards Valerio style thinking, trying to get Sansa. Yeah. Like by, by actually pinning himself down, he makes his plans start to fall apart. I would argue that's just like Varys and Illyrio too. Like they do really well up until they... Um, are trying to get a Targaryen heir on the throne, but like like manipulating people and like selling secrets and things like that. Yeah, they're 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 killing it. Great business. Know? Yeah, but it's as soon as they get like a like a an end goal, like Doran Martell. Suddenly they're like, oh, uh, everything's going wrong. Viserys died. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just swap the genders. It'll all be fine. Yeah, keep the yeah. plan. Yep. This is like a discussion i was having about with my friend about his dating life they're not closers <laughs> it's true they're not closers they are not are they i mean this is a this is a a meta commentary because i think george is not a closer either since the series is still unfinished. oh interesting oh, wow. right. um, so you're saying littlefinger is a gardener i'm saying littlefinger is a gardener and that he does really well up until he has to go to like a concrete plan <laughs> and as soon as he has to hew to that concrete plan he, he starts to like lose track of where he's going a little bit but that if oh, he's given no. just sort of chaos to thrive in, mm. that's right. That's I mean, right. Littlefinger does literally yeah. say, I thought I would have four or five more years for mm -hmm. the seeds that I planted. And everyone knows that's kind of a tip at the whole, like, maybe there was going to be a five-year gap, but not. So look at these. Oh, this got deep. Look at these collaborative developments of theories. Wow. That's, we all win this, this award. This is a community garden. We have a co-op. A co brainstorm lord. <laughs> I, we are all brainstorm lords today. <laughs> Well, that that is every single good post on the subreddit for the year 2018. You don't have to read any no. other posts. That's the exhaustive list. Uh, no, of course, if you are interested in reading more, you can always look back at older episodes where we've talked about even more posts than these. Um, and you can find those episodes that I just mentioned on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, and always on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Maester Monthly. And as codified in a hidden clause in the 1949 Geneva Conventions, you are bound by human law to smash that MF and like button. I have been Michael, also known as Bookshelf Stud. And I have been Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I have been Matt, also known as Joe Magician. And I have been Fat Walda, also known as Waldoigi. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been Andy, also known as Jones S. Tanai, 
seven one zero, or you can call me Anthony Jones. <laughs> Anthony Jones. We'll call you Shireen, I think. Yeah, Shireen. <laughs> Anthony Jones hanging out with Shireen. We're going to eat some pasta fajol. It's going to be great. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you should ask Michael about you that. Just He's got, got me so. Do I, oh, I make pasta fajol on like a weekly basis. Oh, my right. God. He's got a whole yeah, tutorial to, on it. You have um, to ship overnight some to, uh, to New York. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Um, and doxed yourself. Put, yeah. put, a, put, a, put a little bit of uh, Tommen in there. <laughs> oh. New York, because I have a P.O. box there, I swear. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I when you go to visit Random House, elsewhere. when you fly in from Santa Fe to visit Random right. House, your publisher. Um, yeah, yeah. We all know. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening for two whole years. Thanks to all the crows on slash r slash aswaf who continue to create such great, awesome content. And thank you, of course, to George Roger Roger Martin for writing these books in the first place. Okay. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.